0: Welcome to this episode of Portraits and Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. It was an honor for Maestro Couturio and me to spend two days interviewing some of the symphony's most influential leaders, musicians, and supporters. In this episode, we have conversations with former board members LaRuth and Richard Morrow, longtime supporters of the RSO, Thelma and Arzell Ball, and former RSO concertmaster Phil Lewis. This afternoon, we have with us LaRuth and Richard Morrow, longtime patrons and former board members of the RSO. Uh, thank you, LaRuth and Richard, for spending your afternoon with us. We truly appreciate it, and I know the listeners, our listeners, appreciate it as well.
1: It's just a pleasure. Thank you for having us.
2: LaRuth, I was going to ask you, what, what is your first memory? Uh, of the Richardson Syf- symphony orchestra.
1: Well, m- my first memories of the orchestra is that it became a rhythm of life for us. It was the relationships uh, within the audience and the, the treasure we have in getting to know the orchestra members. And some of the social, uh, things, especially after the concert, uh, receptions gave that opportunity for us to meet the conductor, uh, meet the wonderful guest artists and greet them. The social uh, opportunities just enriched our lives here in Richardson, the wholesomeness of it all. So that was the great beginning. And then if we fast forward to 2015, one of my greatest memories was conducting the Orchestra of Clay. (laughs) And it's such an incredible memory. But I, it wasn't really my conducting because I was scared to death and wishing there was some way I could get out of it. But once I made up my mind I could be strong enough to do it, it was the way that you. And Lori and the orchestra came together as this incredible, welcoming team. You welcomed me. Lori made sure the honor guard was there to help this little old lady get up on stage and and not cause a disruption for the orchestra. And you led me there and got me up and got me started. And it was just, just so kind to do that. And it relaxed me. And there I, uh, you know, I played it leading, actually, the orchestra took care of me, which was wonderful. But there's no way to explain coming together like that with those incredible musicians, the expressions and encouragement and acceptance that was on their face that night.
2: Just to uh, tell our audience, you're talking about a Holiday Classics concert where you uh, guest conducted... uh, with Sleigh Ride, Leroy Anderson's Indeed. Sleigh Ride.
1: Here. yes, Thank you for clearing that and
2: out. and um, it was a lot of fun for me too to see you and the, the it's a different experience to be on the podium or a, as a member of the orchestra while the orchestra's playing, isn't it?
1: Yes it is. And I'm just so happy to have had that experience because I it draws me closer to the to all of you and to the organization.
2: You said you had uh, enjoyed some of the relationships with the musicians and conductors. I know you had a special relationship with Andrew Bruce Love. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Oh, I'd be happy to. I just, I don't, Andrew was so lovable, and I did love him. I was also a bit intimidated because I didn't have the experience level in the music and didn't know as much. But I have music in my soul, and he helped make that come alive again and again and again. And he and Marilyn were this beautiful team. Uh, always embracing Richardson and embracing the symphony through quite frankly some very challenging times, and he would come uh, to the meetings and and always uh, dig into his his vast experience, and he utilized he utilized that in helping us grow and getting the uh, guest conductors. And like you, he utilized his his division at the University of Texas at North at North Dallas, North Texas, excuse me was wonderful, and all the young people that came in. There's one that really rings out that I really want to tell this because there's so many components in this that are all part of the growth sure. of a suburban audience. When we were back at the high school auditorium, Angel, of course, selected the program. And we went that night, looked at the program, and Richard said, oh, great, this is Bartok. And I really was not familiar with the works. And he played, and it, it was really from a very different standpoint Very interesting. And unbelievably, people got up and left. And of course, being so sensitive, I was heartbroken for him. I was especially heartbroken for the orchestra members and for the organization itself. Then for several weeks later, people would come up to me and say, what did you think about that program? And my pat answer every time was, the role of a suburban orchestra is to educate the audience. And I stood firm in my on my in my ground on answering that question for all of us. Well, Angel, I think, really grew closer to me after that because he what, you know he needed that kind of support after that so sad, such a sad experience. And then many years later, uh, we had moved to the Eisman Center, and I had I had this dream for a long time of having a fundraiser, incorporating what I called other people's money. And I, I, being a fifth-generation Texas, I thought doing something with Love and Warren, Texas, would bring in an a extended crowd, a different crowd, other people's money, and make a new partnership conducting the symphony with uh, some other Western artists. So I went out to meet with the owner, uh, Ty Phelps, of Love and Warren, Texas, and he was very open to it. The board was open to it, and we, we got a committee going to see if we could move forward. And I could tell that Anshul was, uh, it was not necessarily going to be what he wanted to support.
0: So we all met out at and War for
1: uh, lunch. And uh, all of the members on the committee included musicians and and then board members. And uh, Bob McClendon-Cain is vice president as an oversight person for me. And Ansel was very quiet, and I could tell he was a little uncomfortable. and I asked him what he thought, and he said, I just don't see any reason to be doing this. Well, that was when I realized that he didn't think that he really wanted the, the orchestra to be associated with the country and western music, that genre, because they were doing so much wonderful classical works at that time. I do not know how I had the courage, but I said, Angel, do you remember when you played bar talk? at the high school order for him. He says, yes, are you telling me not to do that anymore? I said, no, you should do it to continue to educate us. But I supported you at, at that time heavily, and now I'm asking for you, your support. Will you give it to me? And he did. And I think it's a beautiful moment of growth in both of us. I learned more about classical music, and he learned about partnering. And he came, and he was one of the biggest supporters that night. Uh, I will cherish him and his his willingness uh, to support a board that comes in and out. It's not the same people all the time. I'll cherish it forever and ever.
2: That's a wonderful story. And I and I know because uh, uh, I know that uh, Brusilov was a very loyal person. So I, I truly believe that he said that to you. And I know what you did for him meant a lot to him. Uh, uh the Bartok you're talking about is the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra, and it was first premiered in the '40s uh, with the Boston Symphony under Kusevitsky, and it sounded modern to them at the time. And it's amazing, even you know, performed maybe 50 years later or so, it had the same reaction. It's a it's a wonderful masterpiece, and, and works like that do need to be performed uh, uh, for our audiences for sure. Um, Richard, I'd like to ask you a question. What do you have a particular uh, Favorite concert or a favorite memory with the Richardson Symphony?
3: Well, I I do have, uh, I remember one concert because it was quite long. That was when uh, Angel did one of Mahler's big pieces. And it was very well done. We've got uh, 150 of these things, it seems like, but probably not. Maybe, though, we've been going 25 or 30 years, and there's six per year. I've enjoyed all of them that I've been to.
2: That's great. And uh, I know you were a member of the board during the transition to the Eisman Center. Can you tell me what it was like to help the orchestra get prepared for a move to the Eisman Center from the high school?
3: In, late, in the late 90s, I think it was, that uh, it was fairly clear that the Eisman Center was going to come into existence. And when it did that we, uh, the seat layout wouldn't be anything like the high school. And I was on the board then. But I don't remember exactly how I got assigned this job, but we had to find a, an equitable way for the uh, audience, audiences, audience members to choose seats in the Eisenhower Center in a sense that they felt like it was fair and uh, that they were informed. So we actually worked with a plan that lasted about three years. And we informed the audience, our season ticket holders, primarily informed them that this move was coming up and that we were going to give them an opportunity to secure a uh, place on a priority list to select their seats in the new uh, hall. And primarily what the, what the rules were, a few different things, it was uh, timeliness in uh, renewing your season tickets. You got in first early, you got more points than you did if you waited two or three months. Several other things like that. At any rate, we were able to (coughs) give everybody a numerical score. And it turned out that Forest Green was first to pick. And uh, then came along, we were second, actually. Then there were some others. A lot of other people got their opportunity to pick their seat in the new hall. So that's how that happened I'm pretty proud to say that happened without much of a problem. I think everybody was happy with their position, and then they got to pick their seats. A lot of people were still right where they were at the beginning, although some of them moved in the interim. So that was a little three-year project and uh, came off very well. I was proud of that.
0: I don't think people really realize how difficult it is to make some of those changes, Richard, when a symphony, a, a performing organization moves its venue and you have season ticket holders. That was a, that was a real challenge.
3: Yeah, that it's not easy at all. Uh, especially, you know, people get attached to where they're sitting and who they're sitting next to and, and moving to a different place disrupts all of that. So it's not easy to change halls, but it happens.
0: Do you have any other stories, uh, LaRuth or Richard, that you, memorable, fond memories uh, in your history with the orchestra that you would care to share with our listeners?
1: I have a couple, and I'll mention them quite, uh, as quickly as possible. September the 19th, 2002 will always be with me. The orchestra, the opening of the Eisman Center, it was a Thursday night. The celebration was called Classical Celebration, and I had shared that committee to, for the orchestra, It was a function of the city of Richardson, and I was the representative of the RSO as a board member. And so I was on that steering committee, and it was just beautiful to be there and be firm that our goal was to be the resident orchestra of the Eisman Center. So on that evening, Thursday evening, September the 19th, 2002, Angela chose an all-Rachmaninoff program, and uh, John... Nakamatsu came and played, and we were there. And the new venue has been such a beautiful partnership between the symphony and uh, the city of Richardson. And we're so grateful for all of that happening. I think the second one I'd like to mention, which is still close to my mind, and this is when we retired Angel. And to do that, we did it in two steps. And one was a, uh, by invitation, to people who gave at a certain level and had been been very committed to the symphony to give extra, to go the extra mile and contribute. We had a, a minimum amount they could give and come and be at this party and visit and touch up, touch Anshel. All the city council would be there and the city manager and all of the board members and hopefully the major donors. And Richard and I were so happy to be able to host that in our home. It was an incredible committee. I cannot tell you about the cooperation and the love that came out of board members and members of the orchestra. And they not only would give money, but then they would donate this or donate that. And the three orchestra members donated their time to play music for us. It just goes on and on and on. The beautiful... Growth of all of us as people as we continued to work together, even as we were saying goodbye. And I have always said that Angel's greatest gift to us was
2: play. That's very sweet of you. I really appreciate you saying that. And um, I've always felt that the orchestra and the, the entire organization, uh, both uh, the board uh, and uh, the musicians, it almost feels like family in a way. And, yes. y- you know, because you, you, we're all striving to be better. And as families do, they can love on each other, but they, there can be hard times and have to work through disagreements, too. And that's just, that's just part of it. But in the end, uh, we're always there for each
0: other. Indeed. Well, Ruth, and Richard, we want to thank you very much.
1: You're most welcome. We wish all of you to stay safe until we meet again.
0: Have with us this morning Thelma and Arzell Ball, longtime supporters and patrons of the symphony. Thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Before we start with your involvement with the orchestra, can you just
2: tell uh, the audience uh, what brought you to Richardson?
4: Well, uh, our job. Uh, He was uh, superintendent of schools in Richardson um, from what?
5: From 1982
4: to 94. Oh, my. And I came with him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What were you doing when he was superintendent?
4: I was uh, really mostly a homemaker. Uh, when he moved here, I, I had, took a job with Beckton Dickinson, a medical company. They had an office on Campbell Road, and I worked part time there. However, I had all my time before we came here. I had played in orchestras, and I uh, was a violinist. Okay, <laughs> so that's we were excited to, to find an orchestra in Richardson.
2: And what year was that? What was the what was the first time you ever heard of the Richardson Symphony?
5: 1982.
2: So it was right when you moved here then. Right. And uh, tell us a little more about that. Uh, Did you just attend a concert at first and decided to get involved, or how did that come about?
4: Uh, Well, when we came here, I had been involved with other orchestras, and I uh, was interviewed, and and the Richardson Symphony contacted me and asked me if I'd like to come on the symphony board. And so I became uh, active and interested, and there wasn't any doubt, of course, ever that we would get season tickets when we came here if, if there was an orchestra.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about your experience, what you've enjoyed about being a patron, being a supporter of the RSO?
4: Uh, I'll tell, tell you a little bit. Um, I, I have a background in orchestral music as a, both a teacher and a, a, a participant in orchestras. And so we were thrilled when we came here and found that we wouldn't have to go all the way to downtown Dallas to hear a good orchestra. <laughs> And uh, uh, they asked me to come on the board and I did that and was delighted to find such a fine orchestra
2: here. And then Thelma, you were uh, instrumental in developing uh, the Ann and Chuck Eisman International Young Artist Competition, but it wasn't called that originally. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement?
4: The the competition uh, started out being for any instrument, I think, that wanted to participate. And we changed it when uh, Maestro Brusilov came. Uh, He wanted it to be either piano or, or piano and strings. And for a time, we had competitions that invite pianists and strings to participate. We shortly had so much interest that we decided to alternate years. One year, have a competition for strings. The next or piano.
2: And what was your involvement with the competition? What were all the duties you had to serve?
4: Uh, well, uh, along with the executive director who took care of all of the financial part of it and made the hotel reservations and the airline reservations for judges and that kind of thing. I uh, helped uh, w- with uh, a, a co-worker who joined me shortly afterwards, Shirley late Lath- in scheduling these people, first uh, accepting their applications and sending them to UNT for a, a discernment about who should come. We changed the ages to, to, from 13 to 29, rather than being much younger than that, and uh, we began to, to take in application, find a place to uh, have the competition that would allow us to have more space. And uh, at that time, the Eisman was not yet built and- The Eisman uh, Center.
2: Practice. Yes. Uh-huh.
4: Yes. And um, wonderful, Dennis Kratz at the University of Texas at Dallas. He was and is head of the Fine Arts Department there, and he had, uh, allowed us a uh, venue to hold the competition. And without any charge, and that was wonderful.
0: Do you have any special stories, Thelma or Arzel, about your experience with the competition or with the RSO?
4: Well, one of the most exciting things that happened right off was a young woman uh, from Moscow uh, wanted to come to the competition. Her her father knew of Anshel Brusilov; he was Russian, and um, he wanted her daughter, his daughter, to come and play for Anshel play in the competition. And so she came. They came all the way from Moscow. And she actually won that year. Uh, Angel had not, <laughs> obviously has no uh, didn't attend the competition, but uh, was delighted when his friend uh, or a friend of his father had a, a daughter who came here and was such a marvelous young lady who played in that concert.
2: And this is for both Arzell and Thelma. Can you tell me of any... Uh- concert in particular that moved you over all the years uh, that you've attended concerts? Is there a piece or a concert that the orchestra has performed that you remember more?
5: Well, I think my favorite concert was named the Celestial Celebrations on which UTD provided a on screen view of the planet while the orchestra provided the musical pictures composed by Was which was definitely one of my favorites. It was a great collaboration of art, and astronomy. However, any concert with cello soloists has been a treat for me because I lost I lost my uh, favorite brother-in-law not long ago, Dr. Jay Decker, who was a cellist and an orchestra conductor at Wichita State University. And it always brings back great memories of enjoyable times with him. The cello produces such beautiful mellow or powerful music that it's usually my favorite.
2: Yeah. You're a man after my own heart. The cello is my orchestral <laughs> instrument, as you know, and, uh, it does simulate the voice more in my opinion than a lot of other instruments. I like other instruments, but cello is, is quite special. Uh, Thelma, how about you?
4: Uh, one of the concerts that I can remember recently that I liked so well, uh, was the, uh, opening night, uh, this past year where you started out with a Weber uh, overture and uh, then a, a Mendelssohn concerto.
2: Violin concerto, uh, uh-huh. And,
4: yes, and, which I had played in college. the you see pictures at an exhibition, and then a Stravinsky, Stravinsky of Firebird uh, selections. That was just about as good as you could get.
2: It was a full yeah. concert. The WC is the prelude to the afternoon of a, fa- of a fawn with the Leslie Newman on the, on the flute solo, who was uh, spectacular. But that, that was a wonderful concert, and I remember you telling me in the past how you really want to hear the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, and I'm so glad that we got that programmed. And it, it, was, a, it was a crowd favorite for sure. Can you uh, either of you tell me, since you've been patrons for so long, in, how has the orchestra changed over that period of time? That's a long time to go to concerts. How has the orchestra, whether going from a different venue or just the sound of the orchestra, anything of that nature, how has it changed over all the years?
4: Well, I think it changed uh, uh, considerably uh, when uh, my, uh, Maestro Brusilov came on board. He was such a fine conductor, and although we had had uh, Chris Zeros was a good conductor too and had started this orchestra, and we owe a lot to him, Maestro Brusilov took the orchestra to a, a new level, and he he also encouraged some of the UT UNT faculty members to chair the the first place chairs in some of the uh, different uh, instruments, and uh, and it encouraged a lot of uh, good fine musicians here in the, locally to to want to play in the orchestra and to try out for it.
5: I think one thing that I think one thing that really improved it indirectly was when we switched to the Eisman Center. In what way? Well. But I enjoy the socials. If you can imagine socials now, I enjoyed the socials before and after the concert, which the Eisman Center made possible. We got plenty of room, and where you can meet friends and, and have a little party before or after the concert.
2: That's right. In multiple places in, in within the Eisman Center, too, you can have social events. Well, is there anything else you'd like to talk about uh, regarding the orchestra or your uh, relationship with it?
4: Well, it's been a, a truly a pleasure and a, a, an advantage to be. Uh, we live in Richardson and just across Central from the Eisman Center now. And we uh, uh, can uh, just go across the highway and be at a concert and then get out at 10 o'clock and be home by 10.15. Um, so that's been really a, ch- a treat for us.
2: Well, it's been a treat for me to know both of you personally and, uh, the support you've given me and the orchestra throughout the years. You're, you're definitely a part of the history of this orchestra and we really thank you for all that you've been a part of with the group. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thelma and Arzell, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners or with, uh, Maestro and myself?
4: uh well i think to mention that maybe the competition which the symphony uh sponsors um and uh that has brought in wonderful young uh young up to 29 years of age uh young artists as you know clay uh, to uh to to uh, perform with the orchestra and uh, uh so that that's been a, a, a joy
2: and that's definitely part of your legacy too, because many of these young musicians go off and have fine careers. And, and uh, you were a part of that as, as we all were. And so that's, that's been a, a real pleasure.
0: Well, Thelma and Arzel, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning and spending it with, um, with Maestro and myself and the rest of our listeners.
4: Well, thank you, Clay. And we were excited when you came and after Maestro, uh, Rusloff left, uh, to have you come and uh, and it's just continued to rise since
2: then. I really appreciate Thank that. Thank
0: you. We have with us this morning Phil Lewis, former concertmaster of the Richardson Symphony and Phil, you were concertmaster for about 40 years, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I uh, came to Texas in
6: 1978 to teach at UNT. And I got a call almost immediately from uh, Chris Zeros, who asked me to be concertmaster. And I didn't know who he was, or I didn't know anything about the area. So I said, well, let's let's meet and talk, and maybe I can come to a rehearsal. And uh, so I did, and uh, it was a very nice community orchestra. And uh, I asked Chris, I said, do you want to take it to the next level? And he said, yes, what do you have in mind? And I told him, I gave him some ideas which he seemed to like. And so uh, in 1979, I started with the RSO.
0: Great pleasure for almost 40 years. Well, very good. Well, thank you for spending uh, some time with us this morning.
2: Tell us, uh, do you have any memorable concerts? I know you did so many if it's over 40 years, so it's a kind of a hard question to ask. And you've soloed with the orchestra before. Just, just tell us some stories about some memorable concerts.
6: Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you didn't ask me for... The most memorable concerts i couldn't i couldn't really <laughs> uh, couldn't, couldn't really select one so i'm going to kind of divide this <clears throat> into four parts first of all as you mentioned playing concertos i played tchaikovsky brahms violin concerto brahms double sibelius uh, vivaldi i mean i played a lot and so all of those were very exciting memorable things when uh sir Brusilov, uh, became conductor i think it was what 91 or 92
2: mm-hmm, about 92 uh,
6: so i had known about him since i was a kid when i go out when i'd have any money i'd go out and buy records i bought the uh, you know philadelphia orchestra playing einhelden layban and shahrazad and and also sproxtra and just all of these uh wonderful recordings that had this this fab, fabulous violinist playing the solos mm-hmm. and uh and then Still, when I was a kid living in Pasadena, California, the Philadelphia Orchestra came to Pasadena, and uh, here comes Mr. Brusilov playing the Yardumian Violin Concerto, and wow, this was something. And I remember getting running out, saying, "What else? What else have you got?" And there were, the Vivaldi you know, Four Seasons, and there was another record about stars. The Philadelphia. So then, uh, when I met him. Because he was he was conducting the UNT orchestra and he was on the the, the committee that was looking for a uh, another violin position. It was it was just amazing. He had asked me to uh, you know be his concertmaster for the uh, for the Dallas Ballet, so I I was doing that. But then when he took over the Richardson Symphony, uh, it went to another level.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, he was doing repertoire that that was huge. You know Mahler's Second Symphony and Hilden and Scheherazade, and Shostakovich, one and five. And, and you know, many of these pieces had these big violin solos. You know, I had played them before, but I'll tell you, in my opinion, Brusilov was the greatest concertmaster that ever lived. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any recordings before, during, or since that, uh, that approach that. And so he...
2: And you're not uh, the only concertmaster that has said that. There have been other concertmasters... That agree with you too on this. <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah, and so uh he he asked me. He said, do, "Do you mind if I give you some suggestions?" I said, "Oh,
5: please do. <laughs> you know,
6: I want to pick your brain." I mean, so so with, with all of these solos that we did, he coached me, and you know, I, I played them before and I I knew how to play them, but it was just insight at another level. So I I just will never forget those concerts. That had those big violin solos and working with him. And of course, the friendship had developed. It was, we were very, very dear friends. So that would have been another great highlight. Then when Clay took over the orchestra, you know, I was, I was really happy about that for so many reasons. When I was a kid, I saw Pierre Monteux conduct many times. I saw him conduct. Austin Symphony, New York Philharmonic, mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic, and uh, he was he was a small man with a very long stick. His motions were minimal but very intense, and the orchestras responded to him incredibly. I mean, they knew that this was a legend, and he he wasn't a young man at that time, but the the concerts were absolutely fantastic. And uh, I always like to look at legacies, and so. I knew that uh, Anatol Brusilov had worked with Monte when he was young and so whether I imagined it or not I began to see certain characteristics of Monte in in uh, in Brusilov's conducting mm-hmm. and I thought and now Clay's coming and here you know Clay is you know protégé of Anatol Brusilov and so this might this will will be in some way a continuation of that wonderful legacy Clay, I hope you don't mind. I'm, I'm going to talk to you out of school. But, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I knew Clay uh, when he was a student at UNT. He was a marvelous cellist. I think I coached some chamber music. Mm-hmm. clay.
2: That's correct.
6: And when he came back to work as a conductor with a with, conductor of one of the two orchestras uh, at UNT, wow, I was blown away. Because not only was uh, – not only is Clay a great musician – but he, he knows how to use time, and he is technically just superb. He, you know, for a conductor to look at a huge score and during a rehearsal stop and say, oh, third horn, bar 52, you're playing a wrong note. I mean, that's good ears. Always Clay with the sense of humor and when he would correct something or make a suggestion, it would always be in a way that it didn't hurt the person. The person wasn't being put down, and everybody would smile. Bruslov was was the same way. He could be a little more brutal sometimes, but <laughs> you knew that it was you knew that it was never personal, right? You know, it 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 always had to do with uh, the with, with with the music. And so, uh, under Clay, did this this wonderful continuation of upping the standards of the orchestra. And I mean we we were doing we were doing programs that any major orchestra in the world would be very happy to do sure mm-hmm. so that was that was very special and uh another thing i want to mention with the time that, that clay was there uh my son who lives in boston and you know doesn't come down this way that often he was down with his fiance. i think that was the concert we did uh, Tchaikovsky fifth symphony and it was just so special to me when people are in the audience and, uh, you know, she had never seen me in action before and, uh, his fiance, I mean, mm-hmm. and so that, that was very special, a similar thing when we did, uh, Prokofiev, Romeo and Juliet. Yes. And then, uh, I, I have to say though, that probably the, the most wonderful memory, and it is bittersweet because it was my last concert when I decided to retire, uh, and I believe it was the. I believe it was the first concert of the 1819 season.
2: Yes, that's correct.
6: And we were doing uh, there. Mm-hmm.
5: And
6: here's a piece that has some beautiful uh, violin solos. And, uh, you know, knowing it was the last time I would sit in that position, you know, when I stood up to, to tune the orchestra and I looked at the violin section and I said to myself, oh, my God, three quarters of these kids... These kids, yeah. Well, I'm 72. Three quarters <laughs> of these kids are my present or past students. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I was very proud. I thought I, I'm leaving a legacy here. The other wonderful thing was so many of my friends, students, associates came to that concert because they knew it was they knew it was my last. And Clay spoke beautifully about my years in the orchestra and the orchestra gave me. You know, you know, it was uh, really, the Richardson Symphony is a family to me. Sure. I asked uh, Lori the other day, uh, when I bought my tickets for uh, next season, I said, uh, I-, I want I want a favor. And she says, sure, what? And I said, please make sure that they'll let me in backstage, because I want to see my friends. I want to see my family when I come to concerts. And she said, of course, Sure. And I am so looking forward to that.
2: Well, we are too, because we know, we know what, I mean, we're backstage, you know what that feeling is backstage, right before a performance, right after a performance. <laughs> and and it is like family.
0: It is not like, it is family. It really is. No, and that's been is. a consistent uh, comment that everybody that we've spoken with uh, over the last several weeks is how much of a family the RSO is.
6: Well, I mean, when I look... When I when I well, I'll put it this way, uh, you know, transitioning I'm transitioning or have transitioned from being the concert master to being a huge supporter of the orchestra. I, I really want to give back and I want this orchestra to continue to grow and succeed. And there's uh, there, there there's no reason why it it will not. So that's it's been such a special part of my life. You know, when I was I first went to the Peabody Conservatory to study with uh, mm-hmm. uh I was put in a string quartet with uh, Junction Lim, who was this marvelous cellist, and uh, we were the Peabody String Quartet for three years. We pl- we entered competitions. We played. We did our radio series. We were on TV. We did lots of concerts. You know, she became principal uh, later on of the of the Richardson Symphony. That's correct. And, uh, before that, you know, when, when, I, when I was teaching at Virginia Commonwealth University, she was principal of the Richmond Symphony. Before that, I was concertmaster of the Calgary Philharmonic, and she was principal of the uh, Richmond Symphony. So, uh, I mean, of the uh, Calgary Philharmonic. So, uh, you know, we were always playing together. We, we toured all over the world with the Choreo Piano Trio. And then later, uh, in 1986, I formed the uh, Chambers International and uh, that's now going to go into its 35th season. So as I say, I, I met her at Peabody, and I told my roommate after a month, I said, I want to marry her. <laughs> and my roommate says, okay. <laughs> and it took me three years to convince her that was a good idea. So, uh, But then we were together for 43 years, and and sadly, she passed away three years ago. So at any rate, her memory is very... Very strong and very strong part of that uh, marvelous RSO family. Now, I'd love to talk uh, one more iteration of your of your question about uh, memorable concerts. Sure. The pianist Leon Fleischer passed away last Sunday. He was 92 years old, and uh, I believe he was a performer. Yes. He was a conductor. And when I was at Peabody, I coached a lot of chamber music with him. And then when he, uh, he developed vocal dystonia and turned towards more conducting, he asked me to be his concertmaster for the Annapolis symphony.
2: I didn't know that. I really didn't know. That's great.
6: Yeah. And I did that for three years while I was a student. And then when I came back to, uh, to the Virginia Commonwealth university, I went back to being concertmaster again for another, another three seasons. And, uh, then he also had the theater chamber players of Kennedy Center, and I played with them very often. Uh, so we were we were very good friends, and I I, I really think that and not only would I say he was the greatest American pianist to have ever lived, he was just one of the greatest pianists to have ever lived.
2: Interesting, uh, interesting. You say that because uh, you were mentioning the records you listened to growing up of Brusilov and those solos. Uh, many consider the Beethoven and Brahms piano concertos with Fleischer, with Zell and the Cleveland Orchestra, some of the greatest recordings of those, of those concertos. And more, as you already know this, I'll just tell our audience, of course, who else was in that orchestra at the time? Andrew Brusilov. So there's always this circle going along of, of, of connection.
6: And they both studied with Monteur.
2: They both studied with Montour.
6: Very sweet story is... Uh... So, the uh, f- uh, Boston Symphony was coming to Dallas, and I saw that Fleischer was going to be the soloist. And for that, he was playing the Prokofiev Fifth Concerto, which is for the left hand. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to Anshul, and I said, uh, You guys know each other very well. And he said, Oh, yeah, we're brothers. And, and he said, But, you know, I haven't seen him for, God, 40 years. I said, Okay, we're going to change that. And I <laughs> had a dinner party at my house, and I invited, Bruceloff's and I invited uh And that was an evening I'll never forget. I mean they saw each other. They had played together, you know, when they were teenagers and uh and been in the Monteur class at the at the same time. Mm-hmm. Some wonderful stories They're Some the same
2: that, they were the same born in the same year in 1928, I believe. That's
6: right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, so when, when, uh, when Brusilovs came and they saw each other and they fell into each other's arms, and the evening was in Yiddish from then on.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you had to keep up, right?
6: <laughs> <laughs> but here's, here's something that I'm very, I'm very proud of. So afterwards, uh, you know, I kept – when I'd see Brusilov, I'd say, hey, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be cool if, uh, if uh, Leon could come and play? with the Richardson Symphony. And Bruce would do one of those quick head turns and look at me and then sort of nod and say, yeah, yeah. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: And at some point, he called me up and he said, Phil, Leon's going to play with us next season. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, what's he going to play? He said, Brahms One." Oh, my God, I was beyond thrilled. Nobody played Brahms One like Leon. And, you know, he was in that, uh, it was during the time that he had started taking Botox injections yes. in his right hand and go through the, uh, uh, deep tissue massage called Rolfing. Yes. And he came and that was a concert I will never forget. He played like God and I, it was so thrilling. Yes. And I felt, okay, I think I'm partly responsible for this, for this concert. So that was so special. And I'm going to tell you another quick story that has happened to me more than once. Sure. Uh, and it happened last Sunday. Uh, I still love to listen to music and I have a huge collection of, you know, the old vinyl. And I even have a huge collection of old 78s, but I don't know why I wanted to hear Fleischer play the B-flat Bromsky
2: show. Mm-hmm, number two, yeah.
6: And I got out the record, and I was listening to it, and it's long. I have 45 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. I was just absolutely enthralled. And I have no idea why I picked that recording. And then about an hour later, uh, Yuri Iwasaki called and said, you passed away today.
2: Wow. Mm.
6: And I thought – You know, maybe it's part of this whole string theory of, uh, of physics, but, you know, once you touch a person, there is a connection that you can sometimes feel no matter where that person is or how much time has passed. And, uh, it was, it was, it was chilling and beautiful at the same time. And I, I had been thinking of him because, of course, his birthday was in late July. And I thought, wow, he's he's 92. I wonder if he's still, you know, actively doing stuff anyway that was that was a very poignant moment with uh, with the
2: r s o you're We're talking about connection and family and all. and I just from some of the things that you said, a couple thoughts came to mind, and one was you mentioned the montour connection, and uh, you know, both Fleischer and Brusilov studied montour with montour and uh of course. With the influence that Brusilov had on me, I went to the Montour School, of course, many years later. So the the Montour connection is all through this <laughs> orchestra. I mean, it's 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 a big deal. And then you mentioned the Tchaikovsky, the Tchaikovsky Five concert that we did, and and your son and daughter in law were able to attend. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Maestro Brusilov was at that concert in the audience too, attending. In fact, that was the very last concert he ever went to and attended. So there's there's lots of connections throughout all this.
6: I I did know that because I visited the Brusilovs at the uh, assisted living place Mm -hmm. and it was after that concert. And, uh, so, you know, we were talking about it and, uh, so I did know that he was there and, uh, you know, he, he didn't go to many concerts.
2: That's right. Uh, As he would famously say, he didn't (laughs) like music, so he didn't.
6: (laughs) (laughs) But I know he loved you and, and, you know, the, uh, I, I'm pretty sure he was there when we did uh, Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet. Yes,
2: that's correct. He was,
6: and I know that he came to a number of concerts at uh, at UNT, and sometimes they would give him the whole balcony. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, no, that was that was that was very special. We had so many adventures together uh, that uh, that I'll I'll, I'll save for another time. But uh, we were very very close friends in Maryland. Uh, was such a brilliant lady, you know. She was, uh, she was, she was able to get the best of him, and she felt that he was a little, a little above himself, you know. When he was going to play a concerto with Philadelphia, and he's sort of you know, talking about Adam and a bit, and then she'd say, "Anshel, before you leave, could you take the garbage out?"
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can also say, I mean, you mentioned the students and everyone involved in in the violin section. Um, I I continue to look, you know, even after you uh, retired from the orchestra and they're they're still there and they play with pride. And and I can assure you that they are they're all keeping in line. Uh, And and so it it takes good teaching, as you well know, to um, to play well. And and they certainly do. So your legacy definitely uh, continues. Very sweet of you to say
0: that. Well, very good. Well, Phil, thank you so much for My uh, spending you, your morning with us. Thank you, Clay. Uh, what a wonderful uh, set of stories that you've given our listeners. Uh, we appreciate it. In our next episode, Maestro Catorio and I chat with RSO Concertmaster Elizabeth Adkins about the RSO 2020 2021 opening night concert on October 3rd. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you, it's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits & Music with Maestro Clay Katorio. I'm your producer and co-host Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.